0: S-P-U-L-L-E-N at fairwaymc.com. And that phone number is 520-977-7904. Shoot Sue an email and let her know she needs to update that address You are listening to an entertainment program put together by a company called Financial Ineptitude. Anything said on this show is not an endorsement or professional advice. Would you really want to tell a court a law you were suing us because you thought taking financial advice from two idiots on a podcast put out by Financial Ineptitude was a good idea? Really? Clown hats on your face. Well, hello, everybody. And there it is. Welcome back to the China Shop. Dude, I was uh, holding that in. That
2: was difficult. How long have you been we've been chatting for like twenty minutes? Oh no I like i it started to happen right before you started your intro, so it was probably only like six seconds, but it felt like to the point right. where I was I had just swallowed air like I didn't know if it was coming back up
0: <laughs> i I just noticed you hadn't burped in a while before I hit record <laughs> yeah ah okay where and- was I I'm your host, Kyle. Joining me for this <laughs> midweek update is Eric from ES Invests. Say goodbye, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> this
2: is my favorite intro so far.
0: Uh, how are you doing today?
2: Where was I? I'm your host.
0: <laughs> it's going to be the new shtick, huh? <laughs> how are you doing today, man?
2: I am doing well, Eric. This is Kyle now. I decided that I'm going to assume your identity. A silly day today, huh? <laughs> yeah, that's what it's feeling like. It kind of is, huh? A little gassy, I, I a
0: little steely. That intro really made me happy. It made me happy, too. It brought a smile to my eye. Yeah. See how well, much of it those... sticks around.
2: Good. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh no.
0: Uh, what do we got today? What should we uh, kick things off with here?
2: Probably, probably well, CPI. Yeah, I think I think CPI was pretty interesting, actually. Um what stuck out to you? There was a little bit low, right? So it was mm-hmm. supposed to be coming in at 5%. It came in at 4.9%. So I think that coming down is kind of informative, but mm-hmm. I still think it's interesting. I think everything in the market is starting to pivot over to this, to the credit crunch and the focus on the credit crunch. That's at least my overarching hypothesis. So I think like the CPI hmm. today, PPI tomorrow, I think those things are important, but I don't think that the market is necessarily hyper overvaluing them currently. Right. Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. The focus definitely seems to have shifted the, the movements that we've been seeing, uh even with the last FOMC wasn't nearly as impressive as some of the the previous ones have been.
2: Okay. Yeah.
0: I right. was looking through the actual report since you've got me uh, now looking through the actual releases from the institution that makes these things
2: look at you going to a source i know i usually just get
0: lost in these things but it's actually super informative and kind of interesting when you start drilling into like the different things that are that are causing like the highest are the the actual like you know uh increases yes Uh, energy was one that was super interesting to me the Gasoline index basically wiped out all the gains of like every other sector or component of the energy portion uh, to, to actually even bring it up 0.6%, which I thought was kind of surprising.
2: Yeah. And that's, that's actually a really useful takeaway that you're sharing for people is like how prone different components are to skew.
0: Mm, all right. Okay. So there's a weighting to these and it may not be necessarily apparent when you're first just looking into the report here.
2: A hundred percent. And I also think it's the reason why sometimes we'll get a release and then the number might make sense, but then people are like, well, what the fuck? Why is it moving like this? Uh, and right. a lot of times it's because of that, because there's something underneath the surface that had an outlier move or wasn't expected. So uh, yeah, a lot of times people prefer, and I don't blame them, but who doesn't prefer kind of like a neat, simple data point, but especially with stuff like this. It's really important, at least to have a cursory understanding of what's being looked at under the hood. Right, right, right.
0: Uh, there's a couple other uh, interesting points, too. Uh, the the used cars and trucks going up 4.4%. Uh, it had been dropping, basically, every reading since October. Hmm. So I was kind of wondering what was going on there.
2: It's a good question. I'm, I'm really not sure, I think... I think a lot of it might actually come back just to the to the credit situation that we're in. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's hard to tell discreetly. I think at least I, I'm not positive.
0: Gotcha. Um, OK, uh, so you said that we've got more than just CPI. We've got other stuff coming out uh, tomorrow and Friday. Well, obviously, we got jobs normally, right?
2: Yep. So jobs initial and continued. But then we have uh PPI.
0: PPI. What's what's the yep. difference between PPI and CPI and why is there like why do we need two metrics?
2: Um, they look at they look at two different things. So PPI cares about deflating revenue streams, so it kind of gives us an idea of actual output. And hmm. CPI is used to look at income and expenditure incorporating cost of living. So they're they're kind of like Two very different metrics, I guess. It's, I tried to explain it in a way that draws at least a correlation between the two, but there really isn't. It's just two very different views. <laughs> okay, fair enough.
0: All right, anything else uh, in the headlines catching your eye this week?
2: Not that I've seen, but I haven't been looking. Uh, the only
0: thing that I saw that I thought was worth kind of just touching on here was um, Berkshire Hathaway reported their earnings, mm. and buried in the Q1 report was the the basically like the the trading that they do, the share, like the stocks and equities that they purchased and sold. So during quarter one, they reported 2.8 billion in purchases and 13.28 billion in sales. And that's a continuation from what we saw from Q4, where they bought 1.68 billion and 16.32 billion in sales. So basically 25 billion in net equity sales over the past six months.
2: Yeah. I'm I'm looking up at another article real quick and it also shows that they're doing a lot of stock buybacks. You notice that?
0: Uh Berkshire?
2: Yeah. No, I didn't. Yeah, so That's last quarter it spent four point four billion repurchasing shares.
0: Huh. I wonder what the idea behind that is. Like you wouldn't think Berkshire would need to do that.
2: Oh, they definitely don't need to. It's it's all about just regulating the float. Um it's yeah, it's a long standing tactic, but I think it just typically bodes well because it's mm-hmm. showing at least some level of demand. But like like we were talking about before, it's also important to remember that Berkshire is heavy in insurance. They've always been heavy yeah. in insurance. So insurance is still doing well. Mm-hmm. So I don't think that they're necessarily feeling a bunch of pressure from that. And they also benefit from interest rates because we're at a point now where you can essentially get net neutral, if not maybe even a small net positive on yields versus inflation and uh, like people with large cash supplies can do well with that so
0: that's something that berkshire has had for quite some time is just a huge war chest right oh they always ma- seem to have massive amounts of cash on absolutely
2: hand. and then, i mean their operating earnings they went up 13 percent like overall they're they're I think it looks like just slight repositioning, but I mean, they're doing, they're doing really well still.
0: Okay. So that makes sense. Uh, yeah. Less, Sorry. Cause their spin in this story is like, uh, we should be terrified because Buffett who's a giant bull is selling off more than he's buying now all of a sudden, but maybe there's more to that story.
2: I'm reading an article from Yahoo finance. I'll throw it in for you, but it says uh, during Berkshire's, annual shareholder meeting on saturday buffett estimated the yield from the company's treasuries and other investments would be about five billion this year uh-huh. up from 50 million a couple of years ago yeah so that's Nailed right online with expectations yeah okay
0: all right that makes sense all right so uh, if you sense. see buffett selling stuff uh, he's not selling out he's buying treasuries
2: yeah and i mean it's still always worthwhile to if like if you take a look um let me pull up
0: well, that's the thing. Like, I don't know necessarily what it means, but that's why I bring it up because I, I feel like it's an interesting discussion.
2: Of course, yeah. So, taking a look at, uh, 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 I want to look at Berkshire because we. The other thing I want to see, they typically maintain like a pretty, pretty deep float of even some tech. I'm like they. They have quite a bit of exposure to. Apple, which I always found interesting, because he's never he being Warren Buffett's never been like super into tech.
0: I think. What what was he said during the dot com bubble? I don't know what all these newfangled things are doing, but I know everybody wakes up in the morning and grabs a razor to shave. I love that dude. I know, right? He's like
2: he's literally like the epitome of keep it simple, stupid, and I love it. I literally love it. Awesome.
0: I don't see any info on their float.
2: Yeah, I mean they still have
0: oh, uh half a million, 590k shares
2: floating. Yep. So they like they're still deep. And I mean cash, they have 35 billion in cash. Right. Long term yeah. debt 120 billion. So it's yeah, they're to me it looks like they're kind of just carefully positioning based on the current markets and I mean again like when you have economies of scale like that, yields can start to look a lot more interesting. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. A lot less risky too yeah it's like it's the same reason why i trade box spreads is because like if if i had ten thousand dollars to put into a box spread and i made a thousand dollars like i really don't care that much or a hundred dollars a hundred dollars sorry I, like i don't right. really care that much about it but as soon as you start doing larger box spreads where you can make like two thousand dollars in ten days that starts Mm -hmm. to become way more attractive, especially if the money technically is being used somewhere else. Like you could be really efficient. It's essentially what what he's doing, not to the same degree that I am in terms of just leveraging um, positions and timing, but the point being is he has economies of scale.
0: That makes sense. Longtime fans of the show should be familiar with the lender formerly known as Sue Pullen, and I'm pleased to announce that she's back. Fresh off a rebrand and ready to help as Sue Mackey. Sue is a certified mortgage advisor at Fairway Independent Mortgage, an equal housing lender who focuses on finding the right product for you and your needs. She has over 20 years of experience helping thousands of homeowners. Whether it's purchasing, refinancing, or even a reverse mortgage, Sue will help. Sue's licensed in 36 states now, so reach out and let Sue Mackey it happen for you. The best way to reach her is just give her a call at 520-977-7904 or in an email, spullen at fairwaymc.com. Fairway Independent Mortgage has an MLS number of 2289. Sue Mackey has an MLS number of 206048. That email again, S-P-U-L-L-E-N at fairwaymc.com. And that phone number is 520-977-7904. Shoot Sue an email and let her know she needs to update that address.
2: All right, should we uh, should we talk about some trading? Yeah, that sounds good. So today I put on a ratio call diagonal in Apple, and ratio call diagonals are one of my favorite strategies. The call
0: diagonals is that the like the the two different expiration dates, or is that yeah? Can you explain the what it, the diagonal is again?
2: yeah, so I just threw a link in the in here so that you can have a video to like how I structure them because it is very specific, but oh, perfect. Um, perfect. In short, we're gonna use deep in the money long calls as a stock surrogate. I hate I hate the fucking term poor man's covered call. It's super annoying to me. Um, <laughs> I like calling them what they are, which is a diagonal. Um, mm-hmm. but that's, it it is on purpose because by using deep in the money options, you really get to benefit from the leverage of options while decreasing theta decay, stuff like that, maximizing a dollar right. for dollar Delta move, all those kinds of things. So it'll be structured that way. And then we sell short term calls against it, essentially it hedges a little bit to the downside, but mostly it allows us to capitalize on another force, which is, um, short-term theta decay, especially if IVHV is overstated. Um, So the two positions are pretty complementary when they're structured. So yeah, it's a typical go-to. The reason why I find it noteworthy, I trade these pretty regularly. It's not like putting this trades on a big deal, but I I haven't placed many of them this year just because I haven't found that many things that I like to the upside. But I do Mm -hmm. like Apple to the upside. It's been incredibly strong.
0: Do you ever have to deal with early exercising? And how do you... Like how do you deal with that when that does happen, if it does?
2: Um, Sure, it can happen. It's super rare, it, and it mostly just comes down to managing the position so that your risk maintains low. Mm-hmm. So for example, with Apple, I would be at risk of assignment if my short call was if we were coming up on a dividend, so X div is coming up and yep, i have that's a that's the
0: one i've been burned
2: yeah and if i have a short call where the time value is less than than the dividend then in that instance it will almost certainly be exercised as it should be because they make money which again that's just a wise choice yep so you can mitigate that by if that's your scenario you can close that trade you can roll it out in time and away so that it's essentially the time value would be greater than the pending dividend. like There's stuff like that, essentially.
0: Do you ever consider trading the Euro-style options where there is no early exercising?
2: Yeah, which is a great point. I trade those specifically for the box spreads. (laughs) That's right, yes. Yeah, exactly. Because if you don't do that and you trade a box spread... You actually have massive risk, which is super annoying because you're not getting a lot of money. Uh, depending on how you structure the box <laughs> right. spread, you don't right. get a lot of money. But, yeah, I think I told you the story about that dude on Reddit somewhere that he did, like, a pretty big box spread in UVXY, yeah? I think he did. I think he did. Yeah. Well, yeah. long story short, for those that didn't catch that, um, the a dude did a box spread in UVXY not realizing that early assignment is possible, and he got fucked is the punchline.
0: More of that story. Yeah. yeah. So Don't do that. Uh, and yeah, I think we also shared a video of yours, uh, explaining how to do those too.
2: Yeah. Okay. Cause that, that is a really important component to box spreads being successful for sure mm-hmm. is, um, yeah. Making sure that we have something that does not offer early assignment. European style options are perfect for it. Makes
0: sense. Uh, so I had a little bit of a struggle today, I think. Uh, and mostly I think it came down to not, following through when I knew that I shouldn't be trading today, I think is what it comes down to. I had uh, some meetings that made it to where I couldn't participate during the open. Uh, my morning routine wasn't completely finished. Uh, and yet I still tried to take a couple trades um, in between, like when I had a break. And I think, I don't know, I'm kind of disappointed in myself, but I'm also at the same time, like, happy that I was able to stop still follow my risk controls and not turn a bad day into a worse day. Does that make sense? Sure. Like typically when I started, like if this would have been 12 months ago, uh, this account would have been blown up. Uh, I'm pretty sure of that, but I, I did a, I feel like I did a really good job of, uh, having an acceptable amount of risk that I was willing to take for that day and not exceeding that. In fact, I didn't even exceed half of it.
2: Was this specifically just for a day trade?
0: Uh, yes, yes, this was on my, uh, futures account trying to, to qualify that prop account.
2: Got it. Yeah. Cause I, I don't know. Too- Cause I know that you,
0: what you do doesn't require as much prep work, right? You don't have to monitor, you don't have to stare at the dom and like try to interpret order flow. Like you're, you're much more passive in the, the strategies that you engage in. Correct.
2: Sort of. I mean, earnings plays are, I wouldn't consider them passive at all. Um, wow. That's true. Yeah, it's and I mean, same thing about trading FOMC release releases. Today, I traded zero DTE and SPX because of CPI. So I thought Um, you didn't do much of that. I I don't do much of that. But if you think about like the number of direct catalysts that exist, you know, 252 trading days in a year, it's probably what, 20, 30 percent at most where there's like a pure broad market catalyst to trade. So, yeah, it's definitely not not super frequent, but I still do it. I I think people confuse that sometimes. And it's one of the things I try to make sure people understand. The other thing people think about me is like that I only sell options or, you know, it's all this random bullshit. Right. And part of it is just because they only catch part of what I do, which I understand. But the point being is I don't, I don't have like a go-to strategy that I always do other than the covered triangle. That one is always out in some shape or form. Almost always. But Mm -hmm. other than that one single strategy, the rest of what I do is generally opportunistic in nature. So, yeah, I really just ebb and flow based on what I see. But for you, I still think that there's a lot of things it sounds like that has to go right in order for it to work. And to me, that just seems very fallible.
0: Right, right. No, that makes sense. Um, And I think I like what you talked about, too, about not when you only do one time frame or one. One thing, then you're just limiting yourself to a lot, you know, any of of the other opportunities that could be present by not uh, opening myself up to like maybe taking some more swing type type trades or or selling some, trying to sell some of these box spreads like you talked about. Like, there's a lot of things that I want to start diving into, and I think uh, I think that's going to be the plan for the next month or two, trying to open up the toolbox and just uh, just give myself more opportunities.
2: And I like I think that that's generally the, the correct approach, obviously. Right. Because it's the way that, that Mm -hmm. I do it. But I, I really do think that by giving yourself room to be right, it just a much higher probabilistic outcome for kind of what you want to happen is what I think about because Mm -hmm. people that just have kind of a secular focus, it's very difficult. I think, um, Yeah.
0: Well, you also, I think the one thing that kind of stuck with me is uh, one of the last conversations we had, you talked about having like 15 earnings plays on at any given day. So any one trade is not going to ruin your day. It becomes, I think, a lot easier to focus on the aggregate when you're not taking them one at a time and waiting for each of those to resolve.
2: Right. Yeah. That's exactly it. And that's, and that's the other thing is that. Each individual trade becomes less of a focus for me, right? Because right, right. in aggregate, I'm working on a broader picture. And I think even that in and of itself is really important um, mm-hmm. because it, it gives you more room. It just gives you more room. Interesting.
0: I like that. Okay. So where should I start if I wanted to uh, start learning like what you do? Like where's, what's the good starting point? Yeah.
2: Um, I think there's a couple things you could do, but for you specifically, you know, for like most people, I tend not to get into super specific stuff, but for you specifically, mm-hmm. um, I think I really do believe that the, the coverage strangle is probably one of the best possible starting places. Um, and it's because it offloads a lot of the decision cycle to a process. So I have a video on the the covered strangle that I do think would be applicable to you. And really the, the concept behind the covered strangle is we look for places where we can exploit an opportunity if it exists, but if it doesn't, we're still maintaining market exposure and we're just using scale to protect us. So like I traded the covered strangle during the COVID crash. I trade the coverage. Like I said, I always maintain exposure into the coverage strangle because at this point, I almost always just trade it in an index ETF. And lately, it's almost always IWM. I do trade other things like (laughs) depending on um, how the market's performing, but it's almost always an IWM. And that's mostly because the volatility is better because there's a lot of options moving in and out. It's not just about the movement of the underlying because that's the cool part is I've never not seen a U.S. index not make new highs at some point. So even though the S&P 500 is up 7% for the year and IWM is like flat or even slightly down, I'm still up money in IWM from trading options around it.
0: All right, okay. All right, so here's my plan then. This week, watch your video. I am going to line up some paper trades to trust it out.
2: Don't forget to like and subscribe.
0: Oh. <laughs> 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 I would like and subscribe. Yes, yes. I like it twice, just for you. Perfect. Yeah, you, you know that means it unlikes it, right? <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. So I'm gonna watch the I'll watch the videos. I will take up some paper trades. Uh, I'll do that between now and the next uh, recording we do, and then we can talk them through and and see if I've got the thesis down and if I got any questions about how the mechanics work.
2: That's cool. That works
0: for me. Sound reasonable.
2: Yeah. Right. And I think it, it would even be cool um, as an admin note, if we wanted to like pick an option strategy to like focus on for like a month or two together. And yeah, like, that would that be could fun. be super fun because there's a handful of them that I think would make sense to include in most people's toolkit, even if it's just for general awareness.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yep. 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 I agree. All right. Sounds like a great plan. Anything else uh, before we wrap up for the day? Yes, sir. All right. Well, that's going to take us to the end of the episode. Thank you everyone who stuck around to the end and thank you, Eric, for all the great resources and for just uh, being a a shoulder to cry on. If you'd like to know more about how he trades, visit his YouTube at ES invests. We'll have links for some selected videos for you to peruse in the episode description. Check us out at two bowls in Be back in your ears soon with another exciting episode, but until then, slap that five star rating like you're chris brown on date night and take care <laughs> i can't believe you talked me into doing that one
2: it's such a good one <laughs> it kind of is such me. a good one